we might have more knowledge and also uh, more freedom uh, uh, together. And right now I'm sort of, um, I'm not just talking about something that's like a far-fetched prediction for the future. I'm talking about something I think we can actually be working on right, right now. What is up, BA family, and welcome to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo, and a lot of you guys have probably heard takes for and against fasting. You may have heard of medium chain triglycerides, otherwise known as MCTs. You may have heard some buzzwords like nutraceuticals, adaptogens. Today, we have Zach Schreier. He is the CEO of LifeStacks, and he started his entrepreneurial career actually stemming from his diabetic problems that he was having and creating a snack that worked for him. Zach and his lifelong best buddy and business partner got to pitch that product, Cuevos, which was an egg white-based snack on Shark Tank at a young age and landed Shark Rob Nooner. Today, we get into Zach's entrepreneurial career, dropping out of school, going on to Shark Tank, his first business, and now his second business, Lifestacks, and kind of his relationship with his best friend, who also happens to be his business partner, how that works for them, the aftermath of the whole Shark Tank experience, and then we really get into fasting, nutraceuticals, adaptogens, nootropics, double-clicking into these topics so that you guys can learn a little bit more about them, and what Zach calls wise living. He is also big into philosophy, and we get pretty deep into the wormhole of the future. What is AI going to be in the future? How is it going to integrate with our lives? Is duality a thing that already exists with phones, and what does that look like with artificial intelligence as it grows? Zach has an extraordinary mind that extends beyond the boundaries of just entrepreneurship, and it was very fun doing this conversation. I think you'll get a lot of fresh insight from Zach today. If you want to see or learn more about his product, you can go check it out at lifestacks.com. If you haven't already checked us out on Instagram, go give us a follow at Breathe and Air Podcast, where we keep you up to date with the latest and greatest and really give you that positive feed that you need. We're pouring a lot of resources into the YouTube channel this year. That's at Breathe and Air, where we're going to be giving you, you know, the short form content along with the full videos of all of our interviews and then clips broken out as well. We're going to put a lot of investment in that this year and we want to make it as great visually for you as it has been auditorily over the last couple of years. So super excited to dive into that as well. And if you're looking for a community, you know, group of like-minded people and experts in their field that are on a mission to help you grow, you can find that in the buyer circle. We created this community, this exclusive community of like-minded people and experts in their field to really help you grow in the three large categories of health, wealth, and mindset. So we're building out this community. We're super excited for what it is continuing to grow into and the guests that we're going to continue to have on and the things and the events that are going to springboard off of it as well. So we want you to be a part of it, but we want to make sure you're a good fit as well. So if you think you'd be interested, reach out to us on our Instagram at breathe and air podcast and message me buyers circle. And then we will go through the application process, see if it's a good fit for you. You can also subscribe to the newsletter for absolutely for free, which is hyperlinked in the podcast description below. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'm super excited 
for you to dive in to this podcast with Zach Schreier. Today we have the CEO of Lifestacks, Mr. Zach Schreier. Thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mason. So I want to start with 11-year-old Zach and finding out that you were a type 1 diabetic. Take us to that point in time and what was that like for you? Yeah, sure. So yeah, in sixth grade, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And basically what that means is that you know what your pancreas was previously doing, you kind of have to do yourself. And so um, it's actually a subset of the functions that the pancreas does. But in this case, it's, it's basically managing the release of insulin uh, to shuttle carbs from your bloodstream into your cells. And that's actually a, a sort of a full-time job. Like uh, you're constantly, you, know, you constantly got some uh, level of insulin in the bloodstream. It's more around carbs or around food in general. And, um, you know, managing that, that, that balancing act of having the right amount of insulin to offset the, the carbs that you're eating is like, you know, it's never ending. Um, so that was something I had to start worrying about, you know, pretty young. And it definitely, you know, attuned me to diet to some extent. Although I would say I still had some years of crappy eating um, after, after getting diagnosed. Um, and maybe the bigger thing was that it really turned my attention to uh, the sort of homeostatic uh, needs of the body and the way in which, um, you know, uh, f- uh, the, you can input um, something into the body and, and then see some sort of output. And then there's a, a kind of question like, what is in the middle of that? What is, what's actually, what's doing the work um, to generate these outcomes when you do these interventions? Um, and uh, I'll just add one piece here. I know it's getting a little abstract, but I think that actually ends up being the core question of our lives and also the core question of existence itself. So, you know, what we see is that we act and then there's certain things that happen in response to that action, but it's not clear what mechanisms are actually underwriting that, those, those um, transformations. And I think, you know, physics is basically the question of, you know, what, where, where really is the work happening? What, what does the work actually look like? Um, But agency is, is sort of a question of how to um, interface with, uh, that physics so that you can get outcomes that mean something to you on your level as the agent that you are with the life that you're living. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, when you, you went to college, you ended up dropping out of college. What was that like? Was that part of kind of owning that situation that you were in at the, at the current time and, you know, taking that leap or was that an easy decision for you? It was a relatively easy decision. Um, in part, cause we actually, um, initially set out to just take one year off of school. And so it was a gap year between sophomore and junior year of college. And uh, that was to get my first uh, real business off the ground called Quavos. Uh, We made chips from egg whites. And by the time we decided to drop out, there was enough kind of momentum going into, you know, from a lot of excitement around the business. And so it just looked like an opportunity that we had to to jump on. Um, And I ended up going back to school after a year on that project. It continued and I continued to be on the board and sort of talk strategy with my co-founder, Nick. Um, but then I, you know, I, I sort of got the best of both worlds because I got to watch this company uh, really flourish, and also got to continue the education, which was important to me at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to preface as well that you know while this business was flourishing, growing, you had taken that time off of school. You also got an opportunity to go on Shark Tank and get an investment from someone that's you know um, highly experienced in that space, uh, the founder of Kind Bars. So tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and kind of what that did for your trajectory and kind of the thoughts on your entrepreneurial career up to now. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Shark Tank was a few years into the business. So I believe that aired in January of 2021. Um, and we had filmed that the, the year prior because, you know, there's always a cycle between right. um, 
Um, and, uh, but, uh, it was surreal. That's really the, the best way to put it. Like, you, you know, you're like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to say it. Like, um, it, it's an out of body experience. Um, uh, but with like, you know, the, the immense kind of pressure of, you know, if I say the wrong thing right now or I embarrass myself or, you know, if the sharks start, you know, pulling out, uh, like, um, uh, but you know, I, I would say we, we were graced by like really good moods by the sharks. Uh, they liked the snack, which was really convenient. Um, and, uh, pretty quickly we could tell it was going well. Um, and actually after getting through the pitch, uh, which is like this, you know, really highly rehearsed, like very performative thing. It was a relief just to be like, okay, we're, we're through that. You know, we, we, we hit that right. They laughed, you know, we we at least got through that part. Um, so yeah, it was, but overall a really good experience. You know, I'm not sure I would do it again because there's that, there's that pretty high chance of embarrassing yourself. And I'm, I was relieved that we, <laughs> we didn't do that. <laughs> That's funny. What was the biggest takeaway that you had from that experience? Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, we, we ended up getting a deal with Daniel Levetsky and, um, I'd say, uh, most of the learnings came after the show because Daniel was, you know, opened his, um, his mind up to us and shared his wisdom from, uh, from his massive success with kind. So that, that was pretty informative. Uh, learned a lot from Daniel, uh, over those years. Absolutely. And you had mentioned that, you know, you co-founded with your friend, Nick, you guys have been friends since nine years old. I mean, what is that like? Because you hear a lot of people say, you know, don't work with family, don't work with friends, keep it separated. What has that experience been like for you? Yeah. Um, well, it's like that, uh, um, democracy is the worst form of government except for um all the others um i think you know i think working with friends like obviously is challenging but um with any co-founding relationship like trust is going to be the most important thing and so you know nick and i had built that up over 10 years before we started the company um so i I think it was a good thing for us to do that together there was you know just a deep mutual understanding and we also know each other's intellectual styles so we're able to kind of plug in pretty pretty nicely um you know, that's how we were still kids. Uh, not that we're not kids anymore, but we were even more kids then. Uh, and so it was, and we were, we were just getting our feet wet in the entrepreneur space. So, um, I, I would, I would like to say that we know a lot more now and that we would have, um, uh, you know, been more efficient in our, in our work, uh, early on had we known then what we know now. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, how old are you now? 20, Uh, 24, 24. So you know, you were young, even younger when you're starting this journey, you know, early twenties, what were some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in this short phase of entrepreneurship and, you know, now being the CEO of Lifestacks? Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest thing I, that I would say is a sort of general lesson from this, the, this time in entrepreneurship, um, is uh, market fit. So, uh, you know, I, I've got, um, I was, I was a philosophy and econ major in college and, I'd say, you know, my, my night job for the last five years or so has been kind of thinking deeply about the moving parts of the world. You know, how, how do things work um, in their sort of most abstract and general way? And um, I think actually the market is more central than people even uh, really understand. I'm not just talking about transacting in dollars. I'm really talking about all of human history, uh, the way in which people basically move the world around to get certain outcomes that they wanted. It cost them work. It cost them effort. Um, and then even before that, if you're just if you're just an animal occupying so, some sort of eco niche, um, then what do you do? You have to like use your body to change that niche. So you're supplying some manipulations, you're changing something, um, and then ultimately you're the consumer of the of that creation that you've made. 
And so it's kind of the self-serving um, in a, it, just in the same way, you know, you get served in a restaurant, like animals are these self-serving machines, these uh, closed economic loops uh, that are providing both supply and also, um, you know, the, the demanders of, of that supply. Um, so, you know, I really think the market and this, this notion of um, demand and supply uh, intersecting and creating an allocation of, of, um, of the resources, that it may actually be the most fundamental um, organizational principle in the universe, uh, uh, or at least one of them. And um, so I think there's a general takeaway from that, which is this idea of market fit. So it's, it's, um, it's all about uh, making sure that as on the supply side, you're arranging the world in such a way to meet the demand that exists. And if you deviate from that, then uh, what you're doing will not uh, be able to sustain itself, basically. Um, and so, you know, in, in the case of um, Quavos and Lifestacks, uh, I should say a bit about Lifestacks just to give some context here. Um, we're using nutraceuticals, so supplements uh, broadly, uh, to help you be your best self and live your best life. And uh, we think the right stacks of the right premium ingredients can really, you know, nudge you to perform at your best. Um, and so, what, you know, what's the sort of general thesis behind both these businesses? Um, we think there's a, a deep demand structure in the mind of a consumer. Um, and the consumer might not even know that yet. Uh, but if you can show them the good that, that meets that demand, uh, then they might bite. You know, they might, they might be interested. So if you can actually make somebody feel good in a way that's healthy and repeatable and sustainable, then they might end up finding that they want something that they didn't even know they want. You know, people don't know right now that they want nootropics, but trust me, you know, when you try our MCT, you'll realize that actually, yeah, you do, you do want that. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, basically the idea is that this, uh, this um, you know, you, you must be very attentive to what actually is in need. Um, but one other caveat here. I think there's a there's a short-sighted way of doing that where um, you might be able to o- occupy a niche in the market that's temporary because you're doing something that's obvious and 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 current um, and maybe even serves the basal needs of people so things that people might get addicted to for example um, but it turns out you know um, there's more holistic uh, uh, aspects of what people demand and my orientation is is supply uh, goods that, that meet those. So I really want to make people whole, like holistically better. I don't just want to give them like content to scroll through and get addicted to, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's sort of a unifying principle. If you want to do good in the world, like figure out what really, what, what really, you know, uh, means something to people and try and supply something that, that satisfies those deep, uh, meaningful needs. Yeah. So really satisfying a product that, you know, hits our primal emotions as opposed to a simple commodity that could be replaced. Something that people have an emotional connection to. Yeah. Yeah. Emotional connection. And I think, um, you know, uh, how many different needs do you have? Um, you know, we can rattle some off, like, um, you know, go think of your day and all the things that you need, right. It's crazy. Um, even, even just taking a sub area like nutrition, it's like, we, we know you need these three macros and you need these 25 uh, micros and then probably a lot of other things that we haven't identified. Um, and, uh, you know, I think uh, ultimately we're looking for a consumption structure uh, that can that can check these boxes and hopefully add additional value um, in like convenient and really nicely packaged ways. So instead of taking like all the, you know, you don't have like your fat powder, your protein powder, your carb powder, and then all these micro powders. It's like, you know, you have this delicious meal that's like thoroughly nourishing. And, um, right. and then you have like a really well-designed supplement that like covers those bases. Um, 
So I think it's like almost uh, integrated goods that that um, that really get at what people deeply need uh, across, uh, you know, not not in, not in small areas, but really across uh, different aspects of their life. Uh, things that people can notice and enjoy. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, you'd study philosophy. I can tell just by listening to you talk about business and life that it's very intertwined for you. Do you have a favorite philosopher? Oh, yeah. Um, favorite philosopher? That's a good question. Mm, I, I've got a lot of favorites, um, but I, this is going to sound strange because it's not, it's not so much philosophy, but there's a principle um, in, in physics and biology um, called the free energy principle. And um, basically it's a description of the kinds of properties you must display if you're a thing that exists. So just briefly, you know, um, uh, if you drop a drop of food coloring in water, it just disperses pretty quick. And so like that drop like sort of ceases to exist pretty quick. Um, uh, now existence is essentially the maintenance of boundaries and ma- maintenance of form. And so, you know, if a little oil droplet in water um, doesn't dissolve, it maintains its interface. And so it, you know, exists um, in a way that you wouldn't say the food coloring does anymore. Um, uh, and that's because of like the surface tension uh, properties of, of the oil on the water. Now, how about something like me or you? Uh, it looks like we exist, right? Like it looks like, oh yeah, you're this package of stuff. It kind of moves around together. It doesn't dissipate, um, doesn't dissolve into the air or whatever. Um, but notice that if I were to like tie you to your seat and like not bring you water and food, then you would like the food coloring kind of dissipate into the surroundings, right? Um, and so basically, uh, and the signature of that is that you, you've got a, like a temperature that's above the um, above the uh, temperature in the air. So like you're dissipating heat. So the only thing that lets you keep going is the fact that you're basically feeding this this incessant dissipation with the right inputs to keep your boundaries intact. Um, so basically, it's the idea that life is a life is a um, a struggle to keep boundaries intact by whatever means necessary. Um, so that that's essentially in a nutshell the free energy principle. Um, so I really like I really quite like that. Uh, this is from Carl Friston, and he's a, he's actually a living uh, physicist and, and biologist. Um, yeah, no, that's that's amazing. It you know you look at the market now in terms of the supplements, supplement branding. You know you, you see a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of things that goes on because you know it's not necessarily FDA approved. A lot of times, sometimes people don't third party test all of these things. So. Tell me a little bit about how LifeStacks kind of separates themselves. What's the differentiator? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, our, our belief is that uh, the right supplement combinations, so premium clinically studied stuff in the right well-tested combinations can really bring benefits to people's days that they can notice. And importantly, these benefits has to have to be repeatable and sustainable, and they have to add to your baseline and not uh, not take away from it. So if I give you Adderall right now, for sure, you're going to feel good. You're going to say, what was that? I want it again. But you'll notice over months and years, um, your baseline is going to drop and you're going to need it just to function like you would normally. You're going to deplete, um, you know, key nutrients as you do that. Um, and so, you know, uh, now, um, on the other hand, if you, the right combination of supplements can basically feed the systems involved with optimal functioning so that you, instead of depleting, um, you know, key, key nutrients, you're actually adding key nutrients. And that's in part what's creating better mental functioning or physical functioning. So we're very interested in ingredients that that are basically just win wins for today and the long run. Um, and then the other sort of secret of what we're doing 
is making this stuff really enjoyable to consume. So, you know, if I give you a pill, that's great. You're like, oh, wow, that makes me feel great. You're probably not going to stick with it. Like, it's not going to be something you add to your day. Uh, so what we've done is infused uh, the stuff in, in foods, um, like really delicious, healthy foods. And so, you know, you can enjoy and look forward to uh, consuming uh, our stacks. Um, our, our very first product is an MCT. Um, that's, that's short for medium chain triglycerides. It's, um, it's a, basically a, um, a healthy fat that's ketogenic. So it shifts your body into a fat burning mode, basically immediately upon ingestion. And um, it's, it's most often added to coffee. So people will take our MCT powder, add it to coffee. It's got a stack of nutri- uh, nutrients that basically synergize really well with the coffee for all the energy. Um, so if you think I'm energized right now, actually, that's from my MCT that I had like six hours ago in my cup of coffee. <laughs> That's amazing. We're hearing a lot of, you know, you hear a lot of the the buzzwords, right? Like you've said nutraceuticals, adaptogens, nootropics. What are some of your favorite ingredients um, that you provide at LifeStacks and some of the benefits that you've seen from them? Yeah, for sure. Um, let, let, I'll just walk through the formulation um, because, you know, I think there's different principles illustrated by each of the ingredients uh, in our formulation. Um, the first, of course, I said MCT. Um, and so, you know, as we, as I mentioned, we want win-wins, things that make you perform and things that are good for you. And a way of thinking about what it means for an ingredient to be good for you uh, is that A, uh, or, you know, one, it provides an essential um, component. And so, you know, of course, you know, not only is it good for you, it's necessary. Um, B, or that's two, I guess I'm using the numbering system. Um, <laughs> it plays some role in optimizing metabolism. So metabolism, you know, broadly is the, the, use um of energy and nutrients in the body um and so it's really everything you know metabolism is our life is our health um, is our energy um and so and different ingredients can play a role in, in helping to optimize uh, metabolism so that could mean basically uh sort of um more efficient fat burning for example and as in the case of mct um and then uh the, the third piece is, is state setting so um you know uh, there's certain ingredients of course that could set state immediately uh, things that make you like feel really good at the gym right now, you know, say uh, 400 milligrams of caffeine would set state. Um, uh, but then, uh, as I mentioned, you know, feeding these systems with nutrients can actually fortify them over time. And so you can, if you take our product for a month, you might notice that you got increased sharpness during that month. And then you still feel sharp afterward because you've sort of tuned these systems and fed them really nourished them. Um, so that, those are the things we're really looking for in supplements in terms of uh, long-term benefits. So the MCT is really uh, that that second um, um, uh, uh, feature of, of um, optimizing metabolism. Uh, next is taurine. Uh, taurine is a um, it's conditionally essential amino acid. So meaning it's a um, it's a protein part, um, and the body does make some of it, uh, but you also need some for the diet. Um, taurine is interesting because it's it's non proteogenic, so it doesn't actually um, form proteins that the body uses, uh, like in, in like many amino acids strung together actually is used, um, on its own. It basically, it's a, it's a regulator of, of the membranes and, of fluid balance and, of uh, nervous, uh, signals basically. So it's very useful in all tissues that have a lot of electrical excitability, like the eyes, like the heart, like the muscles, uh, and the brain, of course. Um, it's also GABAergic and glycinergic. So it's got this basically like calming, relaxing effect. Um, which is why you'll see it included in energy drinks in pretty high doses. Basically, they don't want you having a seizure. And so as they give you your 300 milligrams of caffeine, they also give you the taurine to smooth things out. 
Um, in our case, you know, we use a m- more modest dose because you're adding this to your regular dose of, of caffeine or coffee. Right. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll go. I'll go on here, but I, I, I want to make sure there's. Uh, we can take a breath too, if, if you want. Um, no, I love it. I love it. Keep going. This is great. Sweet. Okay. Awesome. So the next is tyrosine. Uh, tyrosine, basically, most simply, is um, the precursor to the catecholamine neurotransmitters. So um, it is taurine ends up being processed into dopamine and epinephrine and norepinephrine. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, I think the pop culture has already given us some insight as to why that would be helpful. Um, you know, dopamine is is motivational, and um, actually, it you know, given all the um, all the demands and stresses on us on a daily basis, um, we actually might, many of us might benefit from, from some extra tyrosine just to feed that, that dopamine system. So you can make sufficient quantities of, of, uh, of those neurotransmitters. Um, and also, uh, one thing that we're interested in is fasting and tyrosine turns out to be a great thing to have when you're fasting. So our products are fasting friendly, not obligatory, but, um, that's, it's especially useful if you're fasting. Um, next is ginseng. Uh, actually, I'll, gr- I'll cluster these two, ginseng and rhodiola. Um, so uh, these are two adaptogens that we use in the product. And uh, ginseng and rhodiola actually turn out to be the most uh, common combination of adaptogens. Um, it's, they're largely used in Eastern medicine or traditional medicines, um, uh, like, uh, like uh, traditional Chinese medicine and uh, also Ayurvedic uh, medicine, which is um, like uh, Indian. Um, and uh, those two herbs are native to those regions. Um, actually, rhodiola is com- comes from Siberia, but it, it's been incorporated into traditional Chinese medicine. Um, and anyways, that stack together is like really sort of heartwarming and and um, and and also like a light light stimulating effect. Um, and I'll point out that uh, most ginseng tastes terrible, so you would not want to add that to a delicious product. But we've chosen an extract that's both more available, so it gets more quickly absorbed, and it actually doesn't doesn't taste bad. Um, and now that cost us a pretty penny. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, we're, our profits are going to suffer because we want you to have better ingredients. Um, that's, that's the theme with life stacks. You know, <laughs> um, I make these products for myself and for my family and for my friends. And, um, you know, the customers are in my view, just, uh, beneficiaries along for the ride. Um, and, uh, you know, of course I, I want our customers to, um, you know, to, to, I want to have more customers over time, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. but really it's like they're, uh, the, our customers are fueling this project of mine to create excellent products um, like that, that genuinely help people. Um, and so, you know, that, that means expensive ingredients sometimes. Uh, the next is acetylcholine. Uh, so uh, choline is a building block of the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. And acetylcholine is basically coined the, neurotran- the, the learning neurotransmitter. So it's involved with uh, memory formation and, and um, fluidity and that sort of thing. And so you'll notice with, with acetylcholine, um, you're a little sharper, a little more focused. Um, and actually it's been studied for, for mitigating cognitive decline. So, um, there's a patented version of, uh, cytocholine called Cognizin, and they've done a lot of clinical research on the effects of that on, on aging brains, basically. Mm. Um, then we've got uridine monophosphate. It's similar to cytocholine in that it's an essential component of, uh, cell membranes, and it's also cholinergic in nature. So it, it increases, uh, acetylcholine levels in the brain. Um, we chose this ingredient actually for fairly anecdotal reasons of sensitizing uh, one to caffeine. So it's, it makes it so that you can have less coffee and make that coffee go further. Um, and, you know, we, uh, it's, you know, it's safe. It's found in food. Um, it's actually found in, in yeast and, and beer. Um, but, uh, and, and there's a good amount consumed in the diet, 
Um, but you know, it's used also in nootropic combinations because of of these properties of um, of going well with caffeine and uh, also potentially upregulating the dopamine system. So it may sensitize receptors to dopamine uh, to make your dopamine go further. Also, and then the very last ingredient is huperzine, and huperzine stops the breakdown of acetylcholine. So you know, um, all the neurotransmitters break down at a certain rate. And, uh, and so by having a, a modest dose of acetylcholine, you can keep, uh, of, uh, huperzine rather, you can keep a little acetylcholine around, um, uh, for, for those purposes that it serves. And so the, the effect of huperzine is like wakefulness and focus and energy. Um, and we, we use a very modest dose of that. Like you'll notice, uh, alpha brain uses 400 micrograms of, of huperzine. I wouldn't dare feed somebody 400 micrograms of, of huperzine. It's just too much. You know, I think cause headaches and nausea and that sort of thing. And so you'll not to, not to, um, insult the alpha brain here, but you, but go, go to the, uh, one star reviews on, on Amazon. You'll see that many people do have side effects with that. Uh, we use 50 micrograms of Huberzine. So that's one eighth of their dose. And it just provides the subtle, um, energizing and focusing effect. Absolutely. So is this a, it's a one punch combo of all these incredible ingredients together in a powder form? Yep, exactly. It's a powder form, and our, our main use is add to coffee. So um, we optimize the flavor and texture to be like a great replacement for um, you know a less healthy, less functional creamer. Amazing, amazing. We love it. Where can everybody find it? By the way, I'm I'm already interested. Yeah, for sure. Uh, head over to lifestacks.com. Um, that's spelled how it sounds. Uh, Stacks is S T A C K S. Um, and actually, we're doing a try before you buy it. So uh, we know people love it when they try it, and so we'll send it to you for free. And if, if you're the, uh, you know, one of the million people that don't like it, then we'll just give you your money back or rather we won't charge you in the first place. So no questions asked, no problem, you know, keep the product. Um, but, uh, for everybody else, uh, you'll end up paying after you've, you know, tried it and loved it. Amazing. We love that. You mentioned fasting and that, you know, it doesn't, um, you know, affect someone that would like to fast, you know, it's not obligatory, but you can use it while, what has been your experience or take on fasting? Because I know there's it's multifaceted in the ways that you can do it, whether it's dry or with water, et cetera. So what are some of the ways that you know, you've utilized it or your experience with fasting? Yeah, I, I've been loving it. Uh, I've, I've been fasting in informal ways for a long time, uh, just skipping breakfast and that sort of thing. Um, uh, but then really got into it around the same time I started looking into the supplement space. Uh, because there's there's good research on many of the benefits of, of fasting, um, some of which seem to be around calorie restriction, uh, others seem to be around circadian rhythms. Um, uh, there also is uh, weight loss benefit um, in in certain studies um, that over and above the calorie restriction. Um, but uh, the biggest thing for me is that it allows me to keep my intake in check without really feeling like I'm restricted. So I think this is probably the most pervasive problem people have is is there's too much there's too much crappy food that is calling out to us like every hour of the day. <laughs> and you know, it's a, it's a, it's obviously it's a real problem. Um, in, in America, like people eat every hour of the day, um, like on average. Um, and the, the issue with that is, uh, you know, of course, of course, you know, nutrients from food are essential. Like we're made of, we're made of these parts that we're eating, of course. Um, uh, but the food that we're having that we crave all the time tends to be more devoid of nutrients than historically. Um, and this, the food that we're having that's hyperprocessed food actually has been, has been selectively uh, depleted of nutrients because, um, you know, it, more sugar, less other, other stuff. Um, 
And then also, uh, if you remove the fiber from uh, like flowers, it tends to be easier to process and more workable in foods. And so basically, we're, we're having just crap that doesn't provide any uh, nutritional value. That's an issue. Um, the other issue is uh, our bodies are meant to basically sometimes feed and sometimes fast in order to basically uh, repair. So there's certain repair processes that go on when you're not eating for extended periods of time. Uh, like insulin levels are going to decline. That means you're going to liberate fatty acids, use those for energy. So you're going to actually burn your body's fat. Um, and you're also basically going to start to clean up some of the crappy tissue that's accumulated. So all of us have cells that are not functioning quite as well and mitochondria within those cells that are not functioning quite as well. And when we don't eat for an extended period of time, your body actually has the opportunity to go and uh, uh, to break those crappy tissues down for usable parts and then repurpose those into fresh tissue. So um, there are potentially an anti-cancer and anti-diabetic effect to fasting as well for, for those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. What was the biggest, you mentioned when you first started you know, eating after you realized that, you know, you had diabetes and then you still kind of ate crappy for a while, but started changing. What has been the sustainable way for you to keep that in check as you've grown older and learn how to manage it? Yeah, that's a, uh, you know, it's a sort of ongoing evolution. I'd say, um, I'm, you know, not there yet in terms of having a daily consumption structure that I'm really sticking to that I love. Um, mm -hmm. uh, over the last couple of years, fasting has been a feature of that, that it has been, um, pretty unchanged actually. You know, I, I tend not to eat until early afternoon and then I will, you know, eat my last meal at dinner. Um, and for me, that's been a great way to manage sugars. Um, you know, an analogy I, I like to use is diabetes is like flying a plane at a hundred feet. And so like the ground's right there and you can't hit the ground. Like that's dire. Um, and really truly dire. I mean, you know, for diabetics, that's, that's a, you know, uh, that's, it's extremely risky at, um, at like, uh, at 40 feet, you'll start to get really, really like pale and, you know, uh, your tongue could go numb at 20 feet. Um, you might have a seizure. Um, so it's like, you know, that's the risk zone. Fortunately, I've, I've never, I've never, um, been low enough to have a seizure or have to like get medical treatment for that, but I've been close. Um, and I think probably everybody has, um, yeah. and so, um, but okay. So, uh, now on the flip side, you also don't want the plane going too high because that creates damage. So, um, you know, everybody's worried about high blood sugar. I think that worry is actually overblown. It's more of a symptom um, than a cause of, of damage um, and dysregulation. Uh, but still, you don't want to be too high. Um, that will have negative effects on your long-term health. And so basically, you got to keep the plane like between like 100 and 120 feet. And every time you have a carb uh, or say a bolus of carbs, like like 20 or 30 or, or 100, um, uh, it's like you're basically introducing a huge gust of wind that's going to push the plane up. Um, so just for reference, if I have 100 carbs, that would, it, I didn't do anything about it. That would push me up 400 milligrams per deciliter or 400 feet in this analogy. So it's like way, way out of range, right? Um, and most people have probably about 200 carbs a day. So it's like, you know, if you didn't regulate that, you'd pretty quickly be going to the moon. So in order to regulate that, you do insulin, which pushes the nose back down. And so you'd like, you know, you go up and then you start to come back down. Ideally, you, you land comfortably back at 100 feet, um, hopefully no lower. Um, so uh, now intermittent fasting is like basically the absence of any of these um, any of these moments of like huge gusts of wind and then having to push the nose down. So you can you know you can just have really really flat sugar. You don't have to worry about carb intake. Um, you can actually decrease your insulin because the less the less you've eaten recently, uh, the the less in, uh, sugar is going to be deposited into the bloodstream, and so your insulin needs are going to go down over time. So it ends up being like a really smooth flight, and that's what I've discovered. Um, uh, uh, that said, when you are going to break the fast, 
like you know, you're going to have that bolus of carbs potentially. So it's good to buffer that. So uh, what I do is I have fiber and I have protein to, to break my fast. Um, and then I'll introduce the carbs after I've already started to digest um, the fiber and the protein because uh, that really smooths things out. Um, also, I'll do insulin uh, preemptively. So I won't just do my shot right as I'm having those carbs. I'll know in advance I'm about to have, say, 40 carbs. And then I'll do my insulin ahead of time. So it's like I'm sort of pushing the nose down simultaneously as as the carbs are are introduced into the bloodstream. Um, yeah. So that's the goal is like smooth, you know, smooth sailing, ideally. Yeah. I've heard it, you you just said it there at the end, but you know, introducing the fiber and the protein prior to the carbs. I've heard of you know people being carnivore helping with their diabetes. Um, have you ever thought about that? Tried it? Heard anything on that on that front? Yeah, I, I have. I've never gone fully keto for extended periods of time. Um, I do, you know, I do like keto snacks, of, of course, um, yeah. um, because it's just you know that's one less occasion that you don't have to worry about and crack for. Um, I, as I was getting into like OMAD uh, a couple of years back, so one meal a day, um, uh, for that meal, I sometimes did just like a big steak. Um, uh, and that was, it was interesting. Um, it definitely, you know, it had that effect of making the sugar regulation easier. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a runner. Um, and so, uh, I, I think, probably there would be a long period of, of getting used to doing that without glycogen. Um, and I, so I never made it all the way there basically. Um, but I, I have, I have seen stuff from, uh, I'm blanking out his name now, but I saw a Ted talk a while back of, of somebody that was studying this exact thing, like using carnivore and keto as a, as a lifestyle for type ones. And I, you know, I, I was, I was sold that you really can keep things really, really smooth that way and actually decrease your insulin needs, which is good for longevity. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about this idea of wise living. What is wise living to you? Mm, yeah, right. Um, well, uh, uh, back to this idea of, of being a self-serving machine. Um, you know, this this idea of like uh, animals as closed loops. Um, I basically view us as having one kind of mega resource and that that decomposes into a bunch of sub resources. So the mega resource um, is this: you, you've got a life, you've got a body, right? Um, and you know that you just you were just thrust into the game. Um, I think it's Heidegger that calls calls this givenness um, or thrownness. Um, you're just put into the situation. You don't choose anything about it. Um, you give this resource, and it decomposes into these other resources. So you've got a mind. You're able to think um, using words um, and images. And you can move your body around, um, and all these things, right? Um, uh, to me, the, the sort of the question that is a pretty incessant question, um, and I think it's basically hidden in plain sight, is what the hell are we supposed to do with the fact that we've got a life? Um, you know, <laughs> and I, I, I think most people aren't um, uh, grapple with this in different ways at different times in their life, um, and. But, but they don't go all the way to the deepest sort of levels of abstraction that you might bring to bear on this. Um, but I think the answer is actually pretty readily available and people have a pretty intuitive sense of how this works. Like what you're supposed to do with a life is one, have meaning for yourself two, create meaning for others. Um, mm. Right. Uh, pe people often say like, uh, it's all about helping others. And to me, that's sort of confused because um, it's like, well, what then if you help the others, like what's, what's it for that they're helped? Like, 
you know, it is so like somehow like um, the meaning of life is like you to help others and then other people to enjoy themselves. It's like, no, it's like uh, it's for you to enjoy yourself and help others and for others to help others and enjoy themselves too. Um, you know, that's so, you know, I, I view value as like intrinsic to uh, the fact of having a life or having experience. Uh, but of course, we're cooperative uh, beings. And so some of our, the intrinsic value experience in our lives is from participating with each other. Um, so this idea of like selfishness or um, self-interest, um, you know, this uh, this nihilistic sort of um, you know, like I'm the only thing that matters, my emotions are all that matters. Um, that that perspective doesn't make very much sense to me because I, I feel our emotions are actually are are in some part mediated by by the positive role that we can play in other people's lives. Um, is the most obvious with like mother daughter uh, or mother uh, child um, uh, like relationships. Like you know the the mom's value is really mediated by what she can offer to the kids. Of course, this is true for dads too. Um, but like with the mother, it's really, really quite obvious that the, the unit, the selection unit is not, is not oneself. It's, it's, it's oneself and, and one's offspring. And, but you, you, it's, you, if you leave your kids without the mother, then that's not a productive thing to do either. So you have to care for yourself and care for others. Um, mm. So a- anyway, sorry, this is a, uh, a tangent, but what I'm saying is, um, you know, I, I, I think you should spend a life on creating value. Um, and I think there is a, a sort of a revealed demand function. So a revealed way of rendering value uh, in each of us. I think um, unless we're talking about psychopaths or sociopaths, it tends to be fairly generic what that revealed demand looks like. Um, and it's something like Maslow's hierarchy needs. We, we want to actualize. Um, now, in doing that, we have got a bunch of different needs that are kind of odd and they, they're sort of a hodgepodge of things that evolution thrust on us. Um, so like, you know, as part of this holistically good life that we're trying to live, like we have to eat, you know, we, ha- we, we, we might be overcome by feelings of needing to mate um, and that sort of thing. Like, um, uh, and so, you know, it's like you want to basically get a life structure that, that, that allows you to meet uh, those basic and many, many disparate needs in a frictionless way and free up your mind and your time so that you can do with your life the things that create meaning on the higher levels. Um, and so I think that ends up being something like meaningful participation. It's like cooperating in this fabric of, of humanity or in even more local fabrics. Um, that's really what gets people um, to feel uh, like fulfilled, I think. Yeah. What excites you for the future? Yeah. Um, I've got, I've got two, two sort of strands um, uh, uh, that I'm looking at in the future. Um, and I think they're, they're quite related, but they might not look like it. Um, uh, they're related in the sense they, they have to do with completion. So, um, you know, my question is basically, um, uh, actually let, let me set this up. Um, uh, people have a sense that we always outgrow old knowledge. Um, and they often reference like spiritual mystic traditions and then talk about science and then talk about how science thought something and then science was wrong, et cetera. Um, I actually view knowledge as uh, something that can accumulate and where new paradigms don't necessarily need to um, debase uh, old paradigms. So you might be able to layer on more and more knowledge. So one question I've got is, where does that end? Um, is it just always more, or is there some sort of um, package, some some sort of um, uh, c- uh, completion of 
of the knowledge toolkit so that we really know what's going on and our questions are answered. Um, it's, it's, people, people find that to be sort of a pessimistic thing to suggest, but I actually think it's quite optimistic because um, knowledge enables action. Um, you know, knowledge is, knowledge is a way of channeling the fact that you have a life um, uh, into different things that you might do with that life. Um, and so, you know, tapping out or ca- um, reaching the ceiling of the knowledge that's available means that we've effectively unlocked everything that one might be able to do in the universe. So, um, and I, I actually, I'm sort of uh, channeling David Deutsch here, who, who says things are either prohibited by the physical laws or possible given sufficient knowledge. And those are the two options. Um, so, um, uh, okay. That, and then the second thing is, um, I suspect, uh, we, within our lifetime and maybe even within our grandparents' lifetime, uh, not to be morbid, um, we might reach full automation. Um, so t- to me, there's two factors of production. I, I sort of already described this idea of like, you manipulate the environment. Um, that's one, moving the environment, that's one thing. The second thing you can do is, uh, is um, create information. And of course, to do that, you need to move the environment. So in the creation of information you know, in our brains, we're gonna move um, the pattern recognizers in our brains around and we're gonna, we're gonna reshape the flow of uh, energy in the brain. So it's gonna have a, a physical realization. Um, but the important thing about information is that it doesn't only have one physical realization. It's got uh, it, any, there's many, many substrates that can, that can do the same um, informational operations, like a computer or like a brain or like a, a you know, hand on a piece of paper or using your mind's eye, um, whatever. Um, so together, these two things make up all that happens in the economy. Basically, there's thinking and there's doing, and then there's nothing else. Um, so, uh, uh, but my conviction is basically, um, if we have an oracle, so if, if we've got a, if we have um, uh, AIs that are smarter than we are, and we've got full robotics, um, and I think this might be biomorphic or bio inspired, might be the way to get this done. Um, but meaning, if you can build uh, systems that can move in the world like we can move in the world, um, then you plug those th- things together, and maybe maybe actually there's a hybrid structure of the two, and anything that a human was previously doing can be done by this other system. Um, or this other set of systems. Um, and uh, basically, you know, notice with the human, human has to go home at, at night, has to sleep, uh, might have low energy, might make an error, can't do very fast math, can't actually think that quickly, um, you know, sometimes complains, all these things. Uh, you know, and even as you're doing what you're doing to the best of your ability, your body has not been optimized for that particular task. So basically, humans are not going to be the lowest cost provider of anything ever. You know, it's going to be game over for us participating in the economy. Um, people say, oh, people want jobs, et cetera. It's like, well, but employers don't want to pay humans when they could pay um, other systems less for more reliable work. Uh, so anyways, I think we're looking at a time when basically we can automate the economy. And so the question really is, what should we do with our time? Um, what, what are we for? Um, <laughs> people think that's quite dire. Um, but, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but I, I think it's a great thing. I, you know, I th- we're only working because... Um, because that's what we need to do, uh, you know, because the material world is uh, uh, scarce. But given full automation, um, many of those aspects of scarcity go away. Uh, so I think it basically liberates us to live better lives. Um, but it won't happen automatically. What people have in mind is the robots are at work, the humans are on the couch, the humans are getting less healthy, the humans are getting lonelier. And for me, it's like that would be, that would, that be, us squandering an opportunity to live richly um, and prosperously. Mm. Um, and so I'm 
oriented towards what do we do after the economy is complete and we've got all of our time and we've got any good that we can possibly want. Um, how do we, how do we, how do we spend our life, uh, life in that case? Um, and uh, yeah, so I think these two things actually might happen in, in parallel. So uh, more freedom uh, uh, together. And I, right now I'm sort of, um, I'm not just talking about something that's like a far-fetched prediction for the future. I'm talking about something I think we can actually be working on right, right now. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, it, what we're doing at, at LifeStacks, I view as um, laying a foundation for uh, us to have more agency so we can tackle our days, um, you know, uh, do the things that matter to us with more vigor and more energy. Um, and ultimately, we're going to need more tools like that. And we're going to need, um, you know, great places to put our attention after the economy no longer uh, needs us. Wow. That is the first time I think I've heard a, a take along those lines with um, what's going to happen with AI. So you're almost on like a dystopian side. Like you think it's going to free up our time to spend it in places that are, you know, needed more, like where we can actually enjoy our time and doing the things that we want to do and, and enjoy. Yes, exactly. So, right. There, there's, um, there's many different activities that you do. And, um, I guess, uh, you know, notice that, um, if I, if I talk to you, um, and we're friends, you're not going to charge me. You're going to show up willingly. And maybe we even do it again. If, if you enjoyed it, um, if I go talk to a therapist, they might say the same things, but they will charge me because it's an in-market transaction. But the movements in the world could be the same with or without cash trading hands. Um, it's just, it, you know, um, you when there's cash trading hands, um, or rather, when there's, some, uh, when there's some arrangement that somebody doesn't want to be involved with, with unless they can procure resources for themselves in the future, then, you know, you need this, you need this, um, you know, piece of paper that that says that somebody owes you a promise, or that the, the group of us owes you a promise. Um, uh, but when when we're doing things that we want to do, then we don't have to transact in dollars, even though we are still suppliers and we are still demanders. So you know, I view the conversation as as a kind of market transaction, but without the cash being uh, trading hands. So when when we're no longer needing the economy, we still do get to interact in ways that resemble what we're doing right now. It's just that we don't we don't need cash to be rate limiter on those interactions, um, and it also means we might not be able to get other humans to do the things that they actually don't want to do. Interesting, very interesting. That's a lot to that's a lot to chew on, folks. But do it because it is closer than expected. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. But that's uh, awesome. real quick, I'll just I'll just touch on some of this. Um, you know, um, uh, somebody might pay you to uh, play basketball. Uh, or you could play yourself, right? And you probably enjoy it. So you just do it yourself, even if you're not getting paid. Um, so I- I'm looking for these areas of life where there, ha- there don't have to be incentives um, from external incentives. There's actually an intrinsic motivation that makes something worthwhile. And I think that's the sort of thing I imagine our days being filled with after we no longer have to work for a living. So, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a runner and that's something that, you know, is intrinsically rewarding for me. And so, and uh, and the AI is not going to stop me from doing that. People love art. People love conversation. People love love. You know, people love family. All these things. I think we actually get liberated to spend more time on, not less. So I'd say it's a utopian uh, vision, not not dystopian. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I love that. What? What? So running is one of them. What's another one of the ways that you would spend that time? Right. Um, yeah. Oh, this is so. This is funny because. Um, 
the, you know, I think one thing that is value adding for me is participating in this part of the game where, you know, these things are on the horizon and we can sort of make progress towards them. And so, you know, it's, um, it is, I'm, okay, if I, if I missed the singularity or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, if I was born in 1850, um, that sounds pretty bad to me um, compared to like being born in a time when I get to see the singularity. Best of both worlds, I think, is to ha- get a chance to live a life um, in this kind of like, um, you know, end of biology paradigm that we're currently in um, uh, before we, we transition over to what, whatever's next. Um, so it's, it's, you know, there's something very rich about living a human life, like as it's given, um, you know, not that we're in a natural environment, but that we're still in, in somewhat of a natural environment with our natural bodies and, um, you know, and a sort of more um, uh, contemporary ways of participating with each other, uh, in like economic structures. Um, so I, I do enjoy, enjoy all that. Um, and, you know, I, I feel lucky to, you know, be uh, old enough to get to, to play this part of the game, um, you know, only on the presumption that I'm going to make it to the next part of the game, because I think it's going to be way better. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there, I mean, yeah, running, running and, and um, I think, uh, as I mentioned, like I'm just the same with life structure, I imagine the completion of knowledge. And so to say thinking or, you know, teaching those things, I actually don't think are, are going to be um, tasks that uh, humans are rewarded for extrinsically. So I, I don't think you're going to learn what you learn from another human because the AI is going to be a, a better able to, um, uh, you know, teach you what you need to know by understanding your, your neurology um, uh, and, and actually understanding the world more deeply. So that's another aspect of it. Um, uh, so maybe not thinking, but maybe more like sort of resonating with the deep structure of things. Uh, like a fairly monk-like or shamanic-like um, sort of orientation, I think might be appropriate for people that in this phase of the game were thinking. Um, they might find that you know the knowledge is so beautiful that they just want to spend their minds with it. Um, so maybe something like that. Uh, but you know, I think we're, we're I'm mixing different um, periods here. Like because uh, frankly, I, I think the the end of all this is that we turn the universe into Capitornium and um, and exist as uh, host, ho- vis- uh, virtual creatures hosted on that um, computer and basically experience the best of all possible psychological states and do nothing else. Um, I actually think it might even be a contentless um, uh, sort of uh, existence where we don't actually, you know, r- right now, the way you get your emotions is, is by having things in the world happen that you render uh, as having a certain value, um, but the rendering actually can be detached from the content. So you can take a drug and just like prompt that system to give you the value that would have been rendered under a certain context, but without that context. Um, so I actually imagine that that is how we end up. Um, I think we will be blissful, eternal uh, beings, basically, that may not have any content at all. Um, and we might just be one being. Um, so yeah, okay, that's the long, that's the long range plan. Um, but in the, in the medium term, it's like, um, you know, I think basically medium term is whatever a rich person would do right now, um, if they have a meaningful life, that's what one would do uh, in, in this like, <laughs> post-work uh, society. What is your definition of success? Uh, I guess it's like trying to resonate with the deep structure of existence.
and then that has that has um uh subparts of course um you know because existence status is given to us as us and our environmental context so you know playing playing a uh, appropriate role a meaningful role um yeah absolutely zach thank you so much for your time where can everybody find life stacks try out the incredible products find more from you hear more from you yeah well thank you mason this was this was fun and you gave me uh more freedom to kind of explore these different areas i usually don't uh i usually don't um feel permission to, to go and uh off in all these directions so appreciate it yeah um and people can find us at lifestacks.com um and uh specifically if you if you click into the product page you'll find that try before you buy it offer that i mentioned amazing i'm definitely going to try it and thank you for going there. I love those. I love those talks. I know I could tell you were getting passionate, and it really is incredible to see other people's perspectives here. Um, you know, and yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our time today. I hope we do it again sometime soon, and hopefully next time we can get a live session in. For sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Mason. All right. Thanks, guys, for checking out the show. Share this with someone that you think would enjoy it as well. Let us know what you thought in the comments below and rate breathe in air podcast give us a rating let us know what you think it helps push the show forward and keep getting incredible guests like zach so zach one more time thank you sir and we'll see you next week wait yeah you don't turn it off yet if you enjoyed today's episode go to wherever you were listening whether it was spotify apple podcast pandora whatever you were listening to go give us a rating and a review so that you can help move the show forward. This helps us grow. It helps us reach a broader audience and it helps us get pushed up in the ranks so that more people can see the show and we can continue to build this incredible community that we put so much time and effort into. So thank you guys so much for listening and have a great rest of the day.